good, good, good. So good to see you today. How many of you, your alarm went off or you woke up for church and you're like, man, I kind of want to sleep today? I did. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but so good to see each and every one of you here uh, this morning. Uh, don't forget, as Larissa said, uh, there's a very, very awesome day coming up next, or I'm sorry, two weeks from today, our birthday. How many of you excited about the birthday? Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So we're going to have such a great time at our birthday. There's going to be so much fun, uh, food and giveaways, and it's just going to be a great time. Uh, we do our birthdays big around here, and it's crazy. Uh, I was thinking about this early this morning, how uh, we moved here uh, just after Pastor Randy and Desra, and we're a part of the team to help start the church in 2017 when we had the Bible study going in his house. And uh, man, that was fun, fun times. And the Bible study grew too much, and so we started meeting at the Sharks Board, and we launched February of 2018. So this is our fifth birthday as a church, and God has done so much. Don't forget to register. Many of you have already, which is awesome. Thank you so much uh, for doing that. You can go to our website, northplacechurch.co.za, on the events page, and you can click there uh, to be able to register. It's another... Uh, very, very special day today for a, a big reason, a uh, big reason to me, because some years ago, not going to say how many, in Alaska, an Eskimo was born, and so happy birthday to my beautiful wife, Sarah, today. Can you give it up? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I always mess with her and tell her she's an Eskimo. She was born in Alaska. I'm like, how cool is that? You know, like, what was it? Did you come out of your igloo to go to the hospital? I don't know. She didn't. They had a house. Uh, she moved to Texas when she was, what, four, five, something like that? Two. Okay, I'm way off. I, we should talk more on date night. Um, <laughs> we've only been married 15 years. That's okay. Um, so she moved to Texas, and then we met uh, in 2006 when we were at Bible college and university. I'll never forget, actually, in 2007, Sarah and I had just started dating, and um, I experienced something in my life for the first time. Whew. Sarah asked me to go with her to an airport. First time ever. I'm 18 years old, and I'm living in Dallas, Texas, the big city, and she says, hey, will you ride with me to go pick up my parents? have just brought my baby sister from China. They were coming back from China. Sarah's family uh, adopted a little girl from China in 2007. And so I was like, yeah, let's go. I, I had only lived in Dallas, Texas for about five months at the time. And I'm going to tell you, it was, it was the big city. And I was going to an airport for the first time ever. Okay, the town that myself and Pastor Randy grew up in, uh, we did not have a big airport. There was no such thing as seeing big airplanes in your life. You, you had to drive three and a half hours to get to the nearest airport. I remember that day that we were uh, driving and we turned onto the road where the, the airport is coming into view. And this is Dallas-Fort Worth International Airports. It's one of the largest in the world. And mind you, remember, I, I had only seen planes as like a dot in the sky with a white streak. 
that's all I had ever seen in my life. I'm 18 years old. I turn onto this road, and I kid you not, <laughs> the speed limit was easily around 80 kilometers per hour. I'm going like 30. I'm pointing at the planes. I'm like, Sarah, do you see that airplane? I'm 18 years old. I'd only seen them in movies. I'm driving all over the place. People are yelling at me. They're, doo -doo. you know, they're hooting, they're hooting. It must have been hot. How many of you, you drive crazy when it gets hot? I feel like my patience is wearing thin when it's really hot, you know. It must have been hot that day because people were mad at me. <laughs> I'm driving all over the world. I, I mean, I was freaking out every step of the way. We walked into the airport, and I'm like, wow, look at this, the glass, and there's the airplane. It's like you can touch it. And I mean, I'm telling you, I was so amazed. I was in what we could call a state of wonder. I was seeing something in real life for the first time, and I was like, man, this is amazing. This is something that I will never forget all of my life. The word wonder, it means a state of amazement and admiration caused by something beautiful, remarkable, or in my case, unfamiliar. I was in a state of wonder because I was seeing something that was unfamiliar. Fast forward now 15 years of life, and over time, that wonder has drifted. Now, 15 years later, things are different in my life. Not only have I seen airplanes while driving, I almost see them every day from my house, right? Because we live here in Durban, right by the airport. Not only have I seen them up close, I've seen them take off, I've ridden on planes, and, 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 and even to the point where I'm almost at status, Pastor Andy. <laughs> almost there. I'm the guy standing in the queue that's like, man, why are they special? Come on, like, what's going on? I miss the days when I had babies because then you had an excuse to get on the plane first. It was awesome. Everybody thought you had status. And I was like, yeah, my status is right here. My kids, woo, what's up? Now I'm so familiar with the process, I know what to expect. It's crazy because I was thinking about this. The thing that used to bring me so much wonder now has become very, very, very transactional. I bought this plane ticket. I paid the fee. I'm standing here in line. Why aren't we getting on the plane? See what I'm saying? It's transactional. Why are they not taking off? I understand that three people checked in and they're late, but that's their fault. Let's go. You know, what are we doing? My relationship with airplanes and airports and all of those things has become transactional. Why? Because the wonder fades with time and experience. The wonder begins to fade. And it doesn't just happen with airplanes and airports in our lives. We, we can really lose the wonder, remember, the amazement, the admiration in many, many different areas in our life. Time and experience can produce indifference in us and a loss of wonder. Think about it. It, it happens in relationships. 
those that at some time in our life were maybe very, very close to us. And, and, and guys, you know, you remember when you were so googly-eyed over that girl, like, oh, I can't wait to talk to her. What's she going to say next? If you're not careful, then you can get into the relationship, and with time and experience, you're like, oh, what is she saying now? You know, <laughs> Not my wife, y'all. <laughs> Throwing that out there. That's why date night is so important. So you can talk, spend time together. Relationships, those things can become familiar. Places can become familiar to us. I mean, think about it, guys. Do do you remember when this was a nasty, dirty warehouse? It was like a year ago. This was a nasty, dirty warehouse where we had to carry stage pieces up this hill and put them into place, and then we're all fighting and trying to get it together in the right way, right? Remember our screen? It used to be over here. We'd pull it up, and we had like screws and zip ties on it just to hold it together so that we could actually see the words to the songs. But why do we forget those things? Because when we start having time and experience, the wonder begins to fade. Probably the scariest wonder that we can lose is in our relationship with God. That's the scariest place where we lose wonder. In the story of God's people, especially in the Old Testament, when you study God's people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they consistently wavered in their wonder. What are we talking about? Okay, so basically there was this consistent cycle for the Israelites. They would have wonder. God would do something amazing. He would do something spectacular like like leading them through the Red Sea while an army pursued them behind. Millions of people, God would do something amazing, wonder. And then they would go into familiar. They would get stuck in the familiar and they would forget with time the wonderful works of God. Oftentimes, it was because a previous generation wouldn't pass it down to the next generation. Hello, parents, grandparents. And so they would lose the wonder. Things became familiar and then with familiarity, it brought indifference. Indifference is just that like, eh, doesn't affect me. I mean, it's not that big of a deal to take our newborn baby and throw it off the side of a cliff, right? That's what they were doing, sacrificing their children to different gods. They became indifferent. It was seen in their their rebellion. And then God would do something amazing, and it wasn't always good. Sometimes God would do something like sending another nation in to conquer them because they had lost their wonder. So there was this cycle, wonder, familiar, indifference back to wonder wonder familiar indifference back to wonder this was the state of israel in and i'm going to say it this way isaiah's day i asked our interns and they're like that's not how you say isaiah it's like i'm sorry i said it's is how would you say isaiah isaiah there you go okay i was waiting for it thank you for your help come on Isaiah, or Isaiah, depending on where you're from, was a prophet of God. He was a messenger of God. What what were the prophets in the Old Testament? They were champions of the covenant of God. The prophets in the Old Testament would consistently call God's people 
back to faithfully serving him. The prophet Isaiah continually called people back to a place of wonder. How did he do that? Because he lived in a state of wonder himself. This morning, we're going to look at a passage found in Isaiah chapter 6, and you may be familiar with it. Maybe you've read it 10 million times. Maybe you've never read it. But we're going to look at this, and we're going to see a vision that God gave the prophet, and we're going to see how do we take this Old Testament encounter of a prophet and apply it to our lives today so that we live in a state of wonder. Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. What in the world is is Isaiah seeing and, and what does it have to do with wonder? The first thing that we have to see is this, is that presence invokes wonder. Everybody say presence. There you go. I have to get you to talk every once in a while because the rain makes us sleepy. Woo. It's dripping and all that. Presence invokes wonder. Isaiah in the Old Testament, he sees a glimpse into heaven and the worship that continues there day and night. It never stops. Worship happens. Why? Simply because God is there. Because presence invokes wonder. Notice, it's not spelled P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. Not presents, not birthday, not Christmas. We're talking about presence. Presence invokes wonder. It invokes adoration. To adore is to give praise to God simply for who he is. That is why all of heaven right now in Isaiah's day from the beginning of time and all the way until right now today and what we did in worship this morning and the reason we do it is because we are joining in with heaven to say, God, you are wonderful. You're full of wonder. We join in with all of heaven. But get this, 
God is not only present in heaven. There's a theological term that we use to say that God is omnipresent. That means God exists everywhere at one time. I know it's hard because we can't wrap our brains around it. God exists everywhere at one time, including, as New Testament, believers in Christ, including within us including within us. Jesus came, if you fast forward from Isaiah's day, Jesus came as the full manifestation of the glory of God the Father on the earth. That's what John chapter one tells us. It tells us, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, right? And then it says, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. So Jesus was the full manifestation of the glory of God the Father on the earth fully man and fully God. Jesus does his work and he dies on the cross. He resurrects three days later. And the Bible says he ascends into heaven. Why? So that he could send the very spirit of God to be with us. Did you know God is here right now? He's here right now. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have put your faith in Christ, he doesn't get hung up on the doorposts when you walk out. He goes with you. Why? How do we know that? Jesus actually told us in John 14. He said, if we obey his commands, that he and his father will come ooh, and make his home in us. God lives in you. His presence lives in you. Paul would tell us in the book of Romans later, like we just studied with Pastor Randy recently, that the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, he bears witness with my spirit that I am his child. His presence, <coughs> excuse me, invokes wonder. The presence of God is not only in heaven, presence of God existed in Jesus Christ because Jesus, God the Son, was here on the earth. He was the full manifestation of the glory of God. And now with the Holy Spirit living in us, the Holy Spirit existing in our world, God is everywhere all the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. His presence lives in you. This is why worship is so powerful. <coughs> Excuse me. This is why worship is so powerful and why we talk about with our daily 20 that one of the things that we do in the daily 20 is spend five minutes a day in worship because the spirit of God is in you, but the reality is we're also flesh. And the flesh just wants to get out of bed and roll with the day and make choices that honor and worship Aaron. But when we start our days off in worship, we understand and we recognize, God, your presence is in me. And Lord, I want your spirit to lead me today, not me lead me today. Presence in us. God's presence is here when we gather together. This is why we worship in this place. He's here. If some of you wonder why people are dancing in worship. If some of you wonder, why are they jumping? Why are they spinning? Why are they raising their hands? Why are they clapping? Because it is a human response to the worship of Almighty God. We're joining in with heaven who is worshiping him, get it, not because of anything he's done, simply because of who he is. 
not because of anything he's done. The seraphim, these creatures, they have nothing that God the Father has done for them, yet they cry day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is why we worship. His presence is not only with us when we gather, his presence is in creation. We read about it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. When's the last time you took some time to sit in his creation and worship the creator? What if we slowed down enough to watch a sunrise or watch, and some of y'all are like, sunrise, bro, you know what time that is? <laughs> like four-ish, I don't know. <coughs> Excuse me. What if we took some time to sit in the creation, not to worship the creation, that's wrong, but to worship the creator who made it all. What if we spent time with our Lord? The Bible tells us in the Psalms that the heavens declare his glory. The mountains worship him. When's the last time you heard a mountain say, I know breakthrough is coming? You know? <laughs> I have not. I haven't seen a mountain sing. What does that mean? Simply their existence in silence is worship to the creator. They just exist in silence. And it points to the glory of our God. He's wonderful. So I take time to see the glory. When you look at the stars at night, do you see the glory of your God? The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that he knows every star by name and he throws them out every single night. Every single night. He knows them by name. And we know from science that stars are constantly living and dying and all of those things. And so if he knows that, how much more does he know each and every one of us? If he knows the stars by name and none of them are ever lost in all of creation, then don't you ever think that you are lost in the mind of your God. He knows you. His presence invokes wonder. Let the presence of God invoke wonder in your heart. He's present. He's present in creation. He's present with us. Can I encourage you, even when you don't feel it, he's there. Even when you don't see him doing things, he's there. Even when you are failing miserably in sin and making wrong choices, he's there. He's still there. His presence invokes wonder. How do I live in a state of wonder? And I let his presence awaken inside of me. I have a feeling in my heart this morning, and we're going to respond at the end today in some worship and spend some time with the Lord, I think God wants to awaken the wonder in some of us today. Maybe it's been dormant for a while and we've just been going through the motions of life. We've, we've gotten familiar, right? We, we used to be like, Sarah, airplane. <laughs> like, Sarah, you know what God did today? Why? We, we don't live like that sometimes because time, experience, things grow familiar. We become indifferent. God wants to awaken the wonder in some of us today. Isaiah goes on to tell us some more detail of what he sees. 
Isaiah says that these created beings day and night cry out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Can I give you a little Bible study tip real fast? Anytime in your Bible study you see something repeated over and over, it communicates emphasis. So zone into it and say, why is that there? What am I trying to learn from this? What, what is the purpose of it being there? When these uh, uh, created beings are crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, it is telling us that they are on a display showing and speaking of the holiness of God. Well, what, is it, what does it really mean to say God is holy? What do we mean by that? One of the things that it means is to describe the otherness of God. Go with me for just a moment. That God is other than you and I. The sense in which he is different from everything else in the created universe. Because God was not created. In theology, big word to simply mean the study of God, we struggle to even find terms to describe the holiness of God, his otherness. So what do we do? One of the things we do is to say what God is not because our minds can't even comprehend what he actually is. Go with me for just a moment. We, we try to describe the holiness of God by simply speaking about what God is not. For instance, we say God is infinite. All right, everybody look deep into the eyes of the person beside you. Not very long, though, because that's weird. I promise. <laughs> look into their eyes and say, you are finite. There you go. You are finite. That's a good word. What does that mean? Well, when we describe God, we say that he is infinite. That means he is not finite. You and I are finite. We are created beings. We have boundaries. We have limits. We cannot be two places at one time. We just can't. God, on the other hand, is infinite. He has no limits. He has no boundaries. You know, Oh, Elon Musk could, bend, could build a rocket and send it to the farthest stretches of the universe, and he still wouldn't reach the end of our God. He's that big. He's that great. He's infinite. So we use terms to say what he is not to describe him. He is infinite. He is not finite. God has no limits. He has no boundaries. Not only that, God is immutable. I know, that's a fancy word. It sounds fancy. What is immutability? What does it mean to be immutable? It means he does not change. God doesn't change. He's the same. See, created things, we change. We all change. We are human beings. Some of you, actually all of us in this room, have changed since you've been here in the last hour. You've changed. You may not be able to see it physically, but your body has changed. You are one hour older <laughs> right now. Y'all are like, I'm going to be a lot of hours older if you don't hurry up. Like, I'm hungry. 
We've changed. We're created beings. Everything in creation changes. The earth changes. The seasons change. Everything changes. The only thing that does not change is God. And that should bring comfort into our hearts when we look at the holy God that we serve in his otherness. To say, God, you don't change. So who you were yesterday, you're going to be today. And what you are today in my life, you will be tomorrow. The same faithful God who has been with me time and time again and has never left me, has never forsaken me, will walk with my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids because he's already there. Praise God. He does not change. And so I can look in his word and I can say, God, you did this for Moses. God, you did this for Abraham. God, your character is this way. I see it in your word. God, I'm not commanding you. I'm just saying, God, this is who you are and you never change. And so I'm going to stand on that today. He doesn't change. I change, man. That's my wife. Colleagues I work with, like what happened to him yesterday? I don't know. (laughs) I love you guys. He's holy. He doesn't change his holiness. They're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It means he is other, but there's another aspect of holiness as well in the Hebrew. And it deals with his purity. It deals with his perfection and righteousness. This is the meaning of the word holy when God says repeatedly in the Old Testament, specifically in the Mosaic law, be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as I am perfect. What? 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 Perfect in holiness and righteousness as I am perfect in holiness and righteousness. I know, even as I say it, for some of us here, that word holy in the sense of perfection and righteousness, being right, it comes with a lot of baggage. Be holy as I am holy. I don't know about y'all, but growing up, holiness and being holy was about everything you could not do. I was always like, I guess God says no to everything and yes to nothing. I don't really... You couldn't do anything. You couldn't go to the movies. Back in the day where we, where we grew up, where I came from, you couldn't go to the movies. Once you became a member of a church, it, it said it on the membership card. This, was, this wasn't that long ago. This was like 2004, okay? Do not go to movie theaters. I was like, why not? I love to watch a movie. Like, I want to watch Pirates of the Caribbean, you know? Couldn't go to the movies. You you couldn't wear shorts. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. There was all these things that you could not do. Can't do this. You can't do that. You can't swim with girls. No mixed bathing. That's what they called it. And if you did, God forbid, you had to wear a dark colored t-shirt. You ever try to swim in a big old heavy cotton dark colored t-shirt? It just weighs you down. You sink straight to the bottom. It's terrible. Couldn't swim with girls. Because God forbid, like Pastor Ray, you might be attracted to one. Ah. 
So rather than my youth pastor teaching me to have self-control and it's a fruit of the spirit and hey, you have these urges and God put them there and it's a good thing for you because God told you to go and multiply, which means make babies. (laughs) And you do that within the covenant of marriage and you find a woman that you love and you spend the rest of your life with her and it's gonna be hard sometimes, but it's okay, you love her like Jesus. He didn't tell me all those things. He said, just make sure you wear your shirt. Woo! Help us, Lord. What do we do? No wonder we were messed up getting saved every Sunday night. You know what I mean? Every week. God, I don't want to go to hell. God, I don't want to miss the rapture. Because I looked at a girl. God forbid they taught me to bounce my eyes and be a man of purity. Do you know, men, the first thing that Job said, this is a side note, when he said to God, he was trying to defend himself, he says, I have not looked on a handmaiden with my eyes with lust. That's what he said. That's the first way Job defended himself. In other words, I've been using self-control. Self-control. Holiness back in the day was what you couldn't do. I will never forget. That's not I will never forget <laughs> being in grade eight. I'm 12 years old. I'm trying to be cool. You know what I'm talking about. I was being a secure boy, 100%. Dad had left. I'm raised by mom. Mom's sending me to church all the time. I don't want anything to do with church. I just didn't. I didn't want that. Those people were weird. I didn't like it. They ran around and stuff. And I was like, oh, not for me. I was really just looking for acceptance and approval. And Friday nights, we went to Skate America. It's a skating rink. I mean, y'all, I know we got a skating rink in Phoenix because I looked it up. So I might go. <laughs> I'd go to the skating rink. Kid you not. Skating rink. All my friends went there. It was so cool. My mom, I finally convinced her. She didn't have to come with me. Praise God. Mom, you can drop me off. There's a police officer there. Nothing can happen, right? It's fine. Everything's good. Kid you not. My mom would send me in with a CD Walkman, headphones. How many of y'all had the CD Walkman? Like you put the CD in the thing and then if it was scratched, you, you know, know, back in there and it's skipping, you're like, come on! Now it's like on-demand music, crazy. And it would be like, if my CDs were like Carmen, Toby Mac, because she didn't want me listening to secular music. So she sent me with, and there was some, probably some wisdom in that. Mom was wise. You know what I would do? She would give me money to buy snacks. Instead of buying snacks, I would rent a locker. And I would take my CD Walkman, and I'd put it in the locker. And nobody knew. I told my mom later, don't worry, I confessed. So then, I didn't have to look like a weirdo with the only person on the skating rink skating, you know, uh, and I got my headphones on. <laughs> Your love is extravagant. Y'all know that song, like <laughs> Casting Crowns back in the day? Uh, like, no, Mom, I want to listen to, you know, I'm the Slim Shady, I'm the real Shady. All you other Slim Shadies are just imitating. So won't the real Slim Shady, please? Yes, thank you. That's what I want to hear. Like, I want to listen to Casting Crowns and Toby Mac. I want to hear Eminem. I want to hear Highway to the Danger Zone. From Top Gun, they would play that on the fast skate. It was awesome. Because back then, to be holy was so much about 
and even still to this day, what we could not do because we had to be holy. Can I implore to you this morning, just, just maybe, 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 holiness has much more to do with an internal transformation than it has to do with a bunch of external stuff that we try to look so beautiful and wonderful to the outside world with. We're trying to clean the outside of the cup and Jesus is like, you still have a terrible temper and you're a jerk. Let me deal with that. But you're more worried about, oh, bless your brother, I wore my suit and tie today so I look holy. See what I'm saying? I'm not saying suits and ties are bad. I like a nice suit and tie with the rolled up pants. You know, those guys look good. It's nice. See, when heaven proclaims night and day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, it is to realize that he is set apart. He is holy and I am not. We're going to continue on with it. Look, Isaiah's reaction to seeing the holiness of God, it might not be what you expect. It seems a little off key. He's not like, well, I just saw God. I'm about to write a book and make a lot of money. Woo! It's not what he does. He doesn't go on a tour and do a crusade to explain his whole experience and vision. He says, woe is me. I am ruined. He's saying, I'm as good as dead. I'm finished. Why did he say that? In light of the revelation of the holiness of God, Isaiah realizes his own depravity, his own sinfulness, and he knows he is guilty. And he's guilty of the same thing that I'm guilty of and that everyone before us was guilty of and everyone after us will be guilty of, and that is sin. Genesis chapter 3, you know the story. Mankind decided to be their own God and rebelled against God. From that point, the sin nature entered into the human race and every single one of us, me, you, Isaiah included, that sin separates us from the holy, perfect, righteous God. And look at what happens in verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to my mat to me with a live coal in his hand, which he, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and he said, see this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. Maybe you're thinking, man, that's cool, but I've never had some weird creature go and bring a piece of coal out of my bra and touch my lips, and so I don't know what's going on. And you can Google a bunch of stuff about, you know, people get all allegorical about this and all these kinds of things, but what is going on? Here's what's going on. God makes a way for Isaiah. He makes a way for his guilt to be taken away and his sin atoned for the only way Isaiah could be in the presence of the holy God. And look in the story, Isaiah didn't request it. He didn't beg for it. He did not work for it. God took the initiative. It was purely an act of grace on behalf of God. He was giving Isaiah what he did not deserve. And he didn't just do it for Isaiah. You see, we live in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. 
where Jesus Christ and his blood brings us back to relationship with God the Father. We've been studying the book of Romans. Pastor Randy's been teaching us. If you haven't listened to those messages on identity crisis, please go back and listen to those. Look at what Paul says to the church at Rome in verse 23 through 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the guilt. It's the same guilt Isaiah had, it's the same guilt we have. We are guilty. We are all fallen short of glory of the glory of God. But look, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice, whoo, look at the word, of atonement. Through the shedding of his blood, we receive by faith. You see, wonder embraces the work of Christ by faith. To live in wonder is to embrace the work of Jesus Christ. That God took the initiative before we ever had a chance to. That God in his grace and his love and his mercy, that he took our place. That God himself sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sin and for your sin so that our guilt is removed. God the Father took the first step towards you. You get it? The one whom all of heaven adores. Even right now, God the Father, all of heaven is worshiping him. All of the church is worshiping him today. He's here with us. All of heaven adores him, yet he adores you. He says, you are mine. You see, we are guilty before a perfect God. But through the work of Jesus Christ, just like Isaiah we can say our guilt is gone. Our guilt is taken away and our sins have been atoned for. God has given us a glorious gift because we belong to him. The only way that we can be in relationship with this holy God is by faith in Jesus Christ. So please hear me today. For some of you, this will be very offensive And some of you will find it very, very freeing in your life. I can never do enough to erase my guilt before God. I just can't. I can't do enough to erase my guilt. I used to try. At times, I even still try. How arrogant of me to think that my doing or my lack of doing will make me as perfect as the God of the universe wants me to be that I could work enough to be innocent before a holy God. I can't. See, it's not our doing that makes us holy. That's what we try, we get it backwards. It's not our doing that makes us holy, it's our being. When I rest in who I am in Jesus Christ through the work that he has done for me on the cross, then the Bible says I'm holy. And then when I meet with him every day and I allow him to transform me and when I'm spending time with him, then he's making me even more holy. He's shaping me into the image of his son. When I have relationships in my life where people can speak and say, hey, Aaron, I see this in your life right now and I think it's an area where God may be wanting to work on you. And when I have those relationships, what is God doing? He's making me more holy. 
See, it's a lot less about the external transformation. We, we try to go there first, but we got to allow the internal transformation to happen every day, and then the external will follow. Out of our being comes the doing. What a great grace we have. The wonder doesn't stop there in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. Look at Isaiah's response to his wonderful God. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, this is the first time the Lord has spoken in this entire passage. In this whole chapter, actually. It's the first time the Lord has spoken, and he says, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? You see, there was a, a, a question, a mandate to say, somebody's got to go tell these people about me, the Israelites. And Isaiah can respond, here am I, send me. How can he respond that way? Well, because wonder responds with a willing heart. When I live in a state of wonder, I realize that, that, that Jesus has done it all for me. I can't do anything in myself. And I live in that constantly. Whenever God calls, when he speaks, all I can do is say, God, here I am. Send me. God, here I am. Send me. I hear a lot of people talking about the call of God on their life. Asking God, God, what, what do you want me to do? And there's a lot of confusion about the call of God. What is, what is my calling? Can I show you this morning what your calling is? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have committed your life to him in faith, I'm going to show you exactly what your calling is, what my calling is. Can we look at that? The words of Jesus in Matthew 28. Jesus has died on the cross, he has resurrected, and now he's about to ascend into heaven. Verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. You see it? They wondered. <laughs> they worshipped him. They're living in a state of wonder. They're like, this is the risen, here he is. Oh my goodness. They worshiped him. Doesn't just mean they were like, ooh, he's here, yes. They could have done that. They worshiped him. They were in a state of wonder, but look at this. But some of them, they doubted. Then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. This was the mandate. This was the call for those who wondered, for those who were worshiping him and those who doubted. Those who were like, man, I don't know about this. I'm just not there yet. I don't get like, you see, the ones who weren't perfect yet, Jesus tells them, make disciples. Jesus tells the ones who wondered and worshiped, who might've fell down at his feet, who might've cried and said, wow, this is him. He's really the one, he's alive, he's alive. Jesus says, make disciples 
And then the same ones who doubted and said, I just don't have what it takes. Man, I can't speak right. I, can't, I don't get that. I'm doubting. Is this really him? Is this right? Is that? Jesus tells them, make disciples. You see that? It is the call of God to his church. It's why our vision as a church is simple. We are a disciple-making community. It's who we are. It's why we exist. It's really not hard. You and I are called to make disciples. Did you know, go and look at this in your daily 20. When you look at this in the original language, the only verb that is a command is on the word disciple. It's not on the word go. It makes good for a missions message, I know. (laughs) It's not on the word go. It's not on the word baptize or teach or any of that. The only command is disciple. Make followers of Jesus Christ. What am I called to do? I'm called to make disciples. What are you called to do? We're called to make disciples.